Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity we have to look into your word today. We ask and pray that as we read your scripture, that you would reveal your truth to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you above all things that you are a good father who loves us more than we will ever know. I pray more than anything else that you would speak that truth to us today, that, that as we reflect upon it, that you would speak to our hearts and minister to our spirits. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I am Pastor Barry. I'm the executive pastor here at New Life, and I just want to say thank you so much for joining us online this weekend here at New Life. We're always so thankful that you have decided to tune in, and if you are a first-time guest with us today tuning in online, thank you for doing so. Thank you for investing some of your weekend with us. We are in a series called New Beginnings in the Promised Land, and this is the third week of that series. And a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Alex did a tremendous job talking about a man named Joshua, because the promised land is this land that the Israelite people were going to enter in the Old Testament. And so Joshua is a new leader, it's a new beginning, and he had to be strong and courageous. And Pastor Alex reminded us how we need to be strong and courageous as well. Last week, Pastor Chris navigated us through some unlikely victories. The first unlikely victory was the Israelite people as they defeated the city of Jericho. And then he reminded us of the most unlikely victory of all when Jesus died on the cross for our sins but was resurrected for our salvation and for all of humanity. And that is an amazing promise. Today, I get to focus on what is one of my favorite biblical characters. I have two favorite Old Testament biblical characters, Joseph and the guy I'm talking about today, his name is Caleb. Now, Caleb was one of the 12 spies that Pastor Chris mentioned last week who went into the promised land to, to spy out the territory before they were going to go in and conquer it. Moses sent out 12 spies. So the spies come back from the promised land, right? They'd been in there for a number of days and like, this land is awesome. This is great. And Caleb was actually the one who said, we should go take the land right now. God has promised it to us. We should go take it. But there were 10 other spies, minus Caleb and Joshua, who would eventually become the leader of the Israelite people. The 10 other spies said, no, we can't take this land. There's giants there. They're huge. And we can't go in and defeat them. They were so negative, they convinced the rest of the Israelite people that they couldn't go take the land. They were directly disobedient to what God had told them to do. And because of this act of disobedience, God had the people wander around in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation died. Everyone died except for Caleb and Joshua. And then when the new generation rose up and Joshua was the new leader of that generation, they began the conquest of the promised land. Pastor Alex mentioned this two weeks ago. Their first battle is Jericho. Pastor Chris covered that last week. And then they began the conquest really in earnest, and by the end of this time, they developed, they, they defeated, not developed, they defeated 31 kings. It's incredible. It took over five years for them to do so, but this initial push, this five-year push, resulted in the defeat of 31 kings. Now, during this time, if you're like me, you're like, what, what happened to Caleb? What happened to him? Well, we don't know much of what happened to Caleb. What we do know is that he 
probably was just with the rest of the other folks wandering around. But when we get to Joshua chapter 14, we hear about Caleb. So if you're able, there's a little note section down in the corner of, of, of the screen, and I would encourage you to click on that because it'll give you notes for our message today and also all the scripture. The words will also be up on the screen, but if you want to follow along, please use the notes tab because we're going to right now look at Joshua chapter 14, verses 6 through 15, which say this, a delegation from the tribe of Judah led by Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me were frightened, and they frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even while Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today, I am 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave Hebron to him as his portion of land. Hebron still belongs to the descendants of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, because he wholeheartedly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Previously, Hebron had been called Kiriath Arba, and it had been named after Arba, a great descendant of Anak, and the land had rest from war. So for Caleb, it had been over 40 years since he spied out this land, but he knew what the Lord had said. But he had been really wandering in the wilderness because of what? The sin of others. Pastor Alex mentioned a couple of weeks ago how oftentimes we bear the brunt of the sin of others. Last week, Pastor Chris mentioned how Achan sinned, and because of that, the entire people of Israel were impacted, right? The sin of others impacts us, and Caleb was no different. The unfaithfulness, the disobedience of those 10 spies meant that Caleb, along with the rest of the people, wandered in the wilderness, and he watched everyone he knew other than Joshua die. But what was Caleb's response? Caleb continued to be obedient. It's interesting that we have no record of him ever complaining. I can only imagine if Caleb was alive today, would he be thrown up on Facebook or Instagram, right? But none of that happened. Actually, he responded as he did because he remembered God's promise. The land would be their inheritance. Caleb's response was obedience, which is incredible. After the initial conquest, after this defeat of 31 kings, Moses had declared before he died that the land would be divided, right? So you go in, you defeat these kings, and then the land was to be divided amongst the tribes of Israel. And Moses had said that Caleb would be one of the men to help divide the land. He would actually be the representative for the tribe of Judah. Now, Caleb had also been promised a portion of the land, and he references this in verse 9. 
It says, so that day Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So imagine this scenario. Caleb's charged with dividing the land, right? But he also has been promised a portion of it, which actually could be perceived as a conflict of interest. And what's he to do? Because if he navigates one way, he could potentially usurp Joshua's authority as the leader. If he navigates the other way, he could offend his relatives. And so he's in this really interesting situation. And if we were to just glance by it, we would miss one of the key characteristics of Caleb, his humility. So what does Caleb do? He gathers together his relatives and they approach Joshua. And he humbly and respectfully asks that Joshua would consider the promise that Joshua knows was given to Caleb from God through Moses. But he presents it in this way where he honors the Lord, the promise, Moses, who is dead, Joshua, the leader, and also honors his relatives. Caleb does this with tact and humility that shows us the character of the man that he is an 85-year-old man who has walked with God faithfully and obediently from almost day one. And what is this land that he's been promised? Well, it's the land where his feet trod. So when he went in as a spy, he came back with a good report, as did all the others, concerning the land. But there were these people there, these descendants of Anak, and they were giants. And that is what made the other ten really afraid. And so Caleb is promised this ground, this ground that he walked all of those years ago. Verse 12, Caleb says this, give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You'll remember that as a scout, we found the descendants of Anak living there in great walled cities. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land just as the Lord said. Hill country, Some translations call it the mountain. Others call it the high ground. In any military campaign, the high ground is the hardest to take. And not only that, this land is inhabited by the descendants of Anak. These were the giants. These were the giants that really caused the entire nation of Israel to be afraid, to disobey God. These were the people who really, even though they didn't know it, led to the wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And not only that, they've yet to be defeated. They still live in those cities that are impenetrable, and they still inhabit the high ground. But Caleb believed that God would do what he said he would do. And he actually says at the end of that verse, just as the Lord said, if he is with me, I will drive them out of this land. In so doing... Caleb lives out what is our take-home point for today, and the take-home point is the one point that I hope that we take with us and we live out this week, and it quite simply is this. God's promised inheritance allows us to take the high ground in our lives. God's promised inheritance allows us to take the high ground in our lives. Caleb knew what he had been promised. He had been obedient for decades. He knew what the Lord had said, and he knew that if the Lord was with him, he would have victory. He freely admitted, though, that God would have to help for him to succeed. And succeed, he did. Because we know from the rest of Scripture, 
And as from the passage today, that the city of Hebron belonged to the descendants of Caleb for generations. And what is the city of Hebron? It's actually a pretty prominent city in that region, but it's also the second most important city historically in the nation of Israel, just behind Jerusalem. Caleb had prime real estate because he was faithful and he was obedient. What, a, what God can really do th through a man who wholeheartedly follows the Lord. It's a great story. It's encouraging. I'm honest. I wish they would make it into a movie. I can just imagine the fight scenes, right? Guys going against giants. Ron Howard would have a field day. But what I love the most is Caleb's obedience. Most of all, I love how he remembered the Lord's promise. After all, what did Caleb, along with the rest of Israel, do to earn the right to enter the promised land? Nothing. Frankly, this showed up, right? God said, this is your land, go take it. And you could say, well, Caleb was obedient, so he earned the right. No, no, he didn't earn the right. Caleb was obedient, but the land, the promised inheritance, was a gift only the Lord could give. Only God could give that gift. As Pastor Chris said last week, we don't receive our new beginnings by following God's commands. Our new beginning is a gift. But the new life we live after the new beginning is one of obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. We can never earn a new beginning from God. He gives it to us freely. But once we have the new beginning, God purposes that we experience the fullness of the new life he offers. That fullness comes through obedience. Caleb's new beginning came because he knew the Lord would do what he said he would do, right? The Lord had promised the land, and he believed. He was obedient, and so his new beginning was a result of him believing the Lord's promise and him accepting that gift and walking it out with faithfulness. In the same way, we as followers of Jesus are to experience life to the full, new beginnings, because of our promised inheritance. And you may be thinking, well, what is our promised inheritance as New Testament believers in Jesus? Some would say heaven, and that's partly right, but Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 makes it clear. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Our promised inheritance is that we are the sons and daughters of God. We are his adopted children. We are heirs in his kingdom. And he did it because it brought him great pleasure. It's interesting, but if you read the passage and some others that are related to it, it's clear. We are God's inheritance, and he is our inheritance. There's a reciprocity there that's pretty incredible. But the fact of the matter remains that God did it because it gave him pleasure. And because of that, we are his adopted children, and we get to be residents of his kingdom as his sons and daughters. That starts now, and it continues for all of eternity. All of eternity. That's the heaven bit, but it starts right here, right now. The rest of it, the rest of that promise, is that we get to now, as sons and daughters of God, live as his sons and daughters in this place, representing his kingdom. It's an amazing promise. 
Ephesians 1, the rest of it, and also Galatians chapter 4 and Romans chapter 8 relate to this as well, but they all basically say the same thing. We are God's chosen children. For some of us, this idea of being a child of God may be a new concept. For others, we may, we may be aware of it, but we've yet to fully comprehend what that means. Others of us have experienced fully what it means to be a child of God, and we live out of that promised inheritance. For me, I would be in that second boat for most of my life. That's where I would have identified. I knew that I was a child of God, but I don't know that I fully understood what that meant fully. Because there were times where I would feel insignificant or unworthy, but more likely than not, for me, I just wanted the world to know that I was as good as what I said that I was, right? And so for me, my identity, my value was found wrapped up in my performance. Not that I was a child of God, but it was wrapped up in my performance. On the outside, I was very successful, but on the inside, I was empty or hollow or just arrogant. My wife can tell you which of those was more prevalent. So when COVID hit, I floundered like so a few of us have, right? Anybody here flounder? You know, that happened. Anybody online, did you flounder at all? If you did, feel free to share. But I floundered a little bit. And I remembered Jesus' words that our foundation should be built upon Jesus Christ. And so I clung to the Lord. And out of that, I learned something that I hadn't known until that point. For me, the single greatest lesson I learned during this COVID season is I'm a child of God, and he loves me more than is humanly possible. I can't begin to express what this new understanding, this, honestly, this new beginning has meant. I can't fully comprehend and wrap my head around the fact that I have a God that knows me perfectly, knows me fully, and yet loves me in spite of all of that. It's something I can't fully wrap my head around, but what I can comprehend is the sense of healing and wholeness that has come about as a result of that. It's been a pretty incredible thing. I am, as the song says, I am because my dad says I am. I am because my dad says I am. I know that some of us may need, may need to hear these words right now, and if that's you, I'd invite you to drink deeply. Because as a child of God, if you know Jesus is Savior and Lord, you need to know a few things. The first is the Father loves you more than you will ever know. He loves us with an infinite love that I've only begun to fully realize. What we do, who we are, all of those things pale in comparison to the fact that we are his children. He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're incredible. It's not the voices in our head or what the world tells us or where we're deficient, or how we don't fit, or any of those things. All of those things are lies from the enemy. What's true is that you are a child of God. And as a believer, as someone who knows Jesus, you're an heir with Jesus Christ himself. And because of that, you live out of a sense of freedom and love that no one else can experience. And the Lord, our Father, loves you. He loves you. You are worthy. You are cherished. You are his child. You are who he says you are. Not what you hear, not what you read, not what you think. You are who he says you are. If you've yet to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, gosh, we'd love you to do that. But there's 
something that you need to know as well. Our Father loves you. He thinks you're amazing. He thinks you're incredible. He thinks that you're, you're, the, you're the best thing ever. That's the thing I love about God is that his love extends and he desperately wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to whisper into your soul, into your spirit, who you truly are in him. And when you accept him as Jesus' Savior and Lord of your life, he can come into your life and renew you and restore you. And he can begin to tell you things that you desperately need to know, that you're loved, that you're cherished, that you're important, that as a man, your value isn't placed solely on what you do, but who you are in him. It's an incredible promise. You are who he says you can be in him. And so we hope that today, through this message, you would enter into a relationship with Jesus because the Father then can speak truth to your life and he can affirm that you are his cherished child. As I've begun to live into this promise, I have to be honest, my identity has shifted as well. And it should, right? If you live as an orphan, then you identify as an orphan and you cling to whatever is closest as your identity. But as a child of God, my identity is that, that I am a child of God. As proud as I am to be an American, right? And I love America. I've, the past few years, had the opportunity to travel extensively. And there is no country that I love more than America. I love this place. I love coming home. I love being an American. But my primary identity is not that I'm an American. Actually, I would say this, for those of us who know Jesus as Savior and Lord, our primary identity is we are children of God and members of His kingdom, His kingdom. We filter our lives to that distinct point of view. It changes everything. For years, I thought as a Christian that I had to kind of fight some sort of culture war, but that's not true. I know now that I was quite wrong. And I would even say this, taking the high ground for me has moved from my forcing everyone to do what I want them to do, being what I want them to be, thinking what I want them to think, to desperately praying they come into a loving relationship with a father who can show them what they ought to do, who can form them into who they ought to be, and who can guide them into all truth, his truth, and I just hope that I can somehow play a part. I know the only War that matters is for us to shower our neighbors with the love that can only come from being adopted children of God. It can only come from us. We're the only ones who have access to, the, to our dad. We're the only ones who can do these things. And because of that relationship, that promise, that promised inheritance, being a child, being a member of his kingdom... That's the only thing, guys, that will change our current course. To be honest, for years I fought with others to be right over some issues, issues that are important, but I fought. And as I fought, I just kept thinking, is this, is this working? Is there a different way? And I know now that there is. When I see all the division and pain, and brokenness, and anger that's resulted from this season, oh my gosh, my heart just breaks. I'm grieved. And I'm grieved because I know that for years, I harbored that anger in my own heart against people, 
People that didn't think the way that I wanted them to think or do what I wanted them to do. And because of that, I need you to know that whether you know Jesus or as Savior and Lord or not, that I'm sorry. Because I'm supposed to love you. And I'm just now beginning to understand what that means, what it means to actually love other people because of who they are in Jesus, made in his image. For so long, I got caught up in issues or I had the desire to be right. And because of that, I said and did things that, that really weren't helpful. And if I've ever done that to you or displayed that to you, I sincerely apologize. In my drive to be right, a lot of times I forgot the second greatest commandment. Jesus says that's to love my neighbor greater than myself. Friends, I need to be honest. Today, we desperately need some Caleb's. Men and women who will be obedient, who will take the high ground, right? Who will remember our promised inheritance that we are children of God. And as a result of that, will take on the giants in our lives, in our culture, and who will take the high ground. Who will avoid the distractions of issues and all the other things that are so prominent in our world today and will focus on the most important thing. And you're going, well, Pastor Barry, what is the most important thing? Well, Jesus actually tells us what our most important thing is. In Matthew 28, his final words to his disciples and frankly to us state, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In his book, Attack Lambs, our dear friend, Pastor Mark Geppert from the Southeast Asia Prayer Center, reminds us repeatedly that our battle is not, is not, is not against flesh and blood. He says, if you can touch them, if you can pinch them, they're not an enemy, not an enemy. Our enemy is against the supernatural force, Right? Our enemy is against the kingdom of darkness in the spiritual realm. Ephesians chapter 6 makes this really, really clear. And so in our natural state, who we are as fallen people, our natural state is for us to defend our particular position. The supernatural one is to respond with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and faithfulness, and gentleness, and goodness, and self-control. The Apostle Paul says, against these things there is no law. It's an incredible promise, but that's the fruit of the Spirit. And so the fruit of the Spirit for us is that we get to pour forth our fruit into the lives of others because of who we are as children of God. Our inheritance is Him. Our high ground is that we get to spread that love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control to a world that desperately needs it. Because that fruit, that's the only thing that will change this world. And I know that we will. In so doing, we'll live out what is our next step for today, which is this. I will take the high ground in my life this week. I will take the high ground in my life this week. Caleb remembered the Lord's promise, and he was obedient. 
And because of that, he inherited a new beginning in a promised land. Likewise, we have a promised inheritance, and that inheritance is that we are children of God. And we also have promises that as children of God, that he's right here with us. Jesus' final words in Matthew 28 were simply that he would never, never, never leave us. It actually says that he would be with us to the very end of the age. And as we live out of that truth, we have an ultimate hope that, as it says at the end of Joshua chapter 14, verse 15, that our land will have rest from war. Isn't that what we want right now? Don't we desperately want some peace and some rest? And I'll be honest, the only peace and rest that I have found over these past several months has been with my dad, who has told me repeatedly that as his child, that I'm loved, that I'm cherished, that I am who he says I am. And you are loved, and you are cherished, and you are who he says you are. So may we go forth this week taking the high ground as we respond with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Against those things, there is no law. Amen. Amen. The thing I love about our Father is that He desperately wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us, so much so that He sent Jesus into the world, and Jesus died for us. He was raised in power for us so that we could have that relationship with the Father as sons and daughters. Scripture declares that when we are adopted, we become co-heirs with Jesus. It's an incredible promise. And we often say here at New Life that to take that next step, to believe, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. It's as simple as A, B, C. Admit, believe, confess. We admit that we are desperately in need of a Savior in our lives because we are sinners. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the Son of God. And we confess that as sinners, we're in desperate need of a Savior in our lives. We cannot save ourselves. And so if you've yet to take that next step, why not do it today? As I'm praying here in a, in a moment, I would invite you to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, open your heart, ask Jesus to come in, and ultimately, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to ask him to adopt you as a son or daughter. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that you have adopted us as your children. I thank you for that promise. I pray right now for anyone who is yet to take that next step. God, I would ask and pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would minister to their spirits. And even right now, Father, that you would open their heart, that they would admit and believe and confess that you are who you say you are. And ultimately, you have the right to be our Lord and Savior. And because of that, Father, when we enter into that relationship, Father, I pray that they would receive your adoption as heirs, as sons and daughters. For the rest of us, Father, who have made that commitment, I would pray that this week we would live it out through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would remember that we are your children and that we would be about your work everywhere we live, everywhere we work, everywhere, everywhere that we play. God, I just pray that you would do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you. And we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks to each and every one of you for being online today.
If you did take that next step, would you let us know? Please just raise a hand that, that you committed your life to Jesus today. We would love to follow up with you because this is an important next step, and we'd like to be able to walk that out with you. For everyone, have a great week.